Hello, I'm Ben Stevens, and welcome to a special podcast discussion in which we'll explore the IOE's work and how it intersects with the wider education agenda. To do so, I'm joined by Professor Michael Arthur, UCL's President and Provost, and Professor Becky Francis, Director of the UCL Institute of Education. In the latest QS World University rankings by subject, the IOE has been ranked as the world number one for education for the fourth year running. So, Becky, what would you say are the key talking points in the sector at the moment? Well, thank you, Ben. I guess if you were to ask the average head teacher, they would reply recruitment and retention time and time again. It really, we are facing major challenges in the workforce, and these are real issues that, of course, threaten quality uh, right across the country. Other issues for schools are autonomy and accountability. Globally, we have very strong accountability as well as very strong autonomy. Accountability comes in the form of Ofsted. And I think that there's a general agreement among both practitioners and policymakers that perhaps our accountability has been too strong and has precipitated some unintended consequences around fear, playing safe, and actually a disincentive for people to go into school leadership and so on. So that's something that challenges the sector. Mental health issues for kids is a major issue that um, is challenging practitioners across the board. And of course, the role of schools and education more broadly in social immobility, which is a long-standing interest for policymakers. So those are just some of the many issues that people are talking about in education at the moment. And in particular, social mobility, as you've just mentioned, is a prominent theme in the Department of Education's policy agenda. So how would you both say the school system could best enable all pupils to fulfil their potential? I think it, this is really about equality of opportunity for high quality services. And at the moment in this country, we don't have that. Provision in the state system is quite patchy. It's excellent in some areas. London would be a key exemplar, but very poor quality in some others. And we know that teaching quality particularly has the biggest effect on student success rates. And that's particularly true for kids from disadvantaged backgrounds so they it's doubly important that they access the best teachers but they are least likely to do so so that's a real issue for the system uh, and I'll come at it from the point of view of uh, a higher education institution but the first thing I think I would want to say is you have to recognize that that social mobility issue goes back a long long way in, into very young childhood possibly even as far back as being in utero and therefore, you know, the expectation that this could be solved easily is clearly wrong. This is a huge social problem. And I think it's got to be addressed across the piece. The role of universities in all of that, of course, is to try and help as much as possible with attainment in schools. And that's where we've focused our efforts and, you know, many thousands of hours of input from our staff uh, from uh, some of our students back into the school system has been our approach. One of the delights about the merger with the IOE is, of course, this is their specialist area. 
Um, and so I feel very much more secure in the fact that we've got real expertise behind our interventions that hopefully will help to address this problem. But our job is to try and raise the attainment of those children who come from disadvantaged backgrounds. And how does UCL's widening participation activity fit into this? Particularly, you've got the UCL Academy. And then the second question would be, is there room to use contextual information in relation to prospective students? Well, I think the UCL Academy is a very specific intervention that was started, I guess, best part of 10 years ago now and has turned out to be a huge success. We've just been looking at the GCSE results for the first cohort that have gone all the way through to GCSE uh, level, and the results are truly outstanding. And when you look at that school, around about 60% of the pupils have at some stage in their lives been in receipt of free school meals. So, that, you know, that's remarkable, and I'm very proud of the fact that we've been involved in that. It is, of course, only one school, and so, you know, it's hardly... Are going to have a national impact. So we need to think about what else we can do to help widen participation. And we have, a, we, we have been involved uh, in national schemes. There's a scheme that ran with the Russell Group called it Realising Opportunities. And we've modified that in our own thinking about how we can do more in terms of widening participation. So it's a combination of looking at contextual data so things like what's the performance of the school that they're in generally? Do they come from a care background? Are they from a low-income family? Do they come from certain postcodes, uh, the so-called polar groups? I personally don't like that uh, last thing. I don't think it works terribly well in London at all. A receipt of free school meals also doesn't work because apparently everyone in Stratford can receive a free school meal if they wish. So it's about understanding all of that, understanding the feeder schools, and looking for those very bright uh, children who basically need more opportunity to develop their full potential. So in, in our latest iteration of that, we've got four departments that um, are running a pilot scheme of using a combination of contextual data plus some coursework that they do uh, with the pupils to evaluate potential. And in that scheme, we are uh, prepared to drop A-level grades by two um, grades uh, so if we were asking for three A's we would accept ABB and we will evaluate that program and see whether or not to spread it out wider. I'm reasonably confident that it will work because I ran a similar scheme uh, when I was at the University of Leeds or was involved in running a scheme at the University of Leeds that was similar so I think that that we will find the right people they will come to UCL and they will do very well. Anything to add on contextual information Becky? Yes well I mean I think it's incredibly important that we take meaningful steps to widen participation and, of course, attempt to recognise the inequalities that are shown to grow through the education system. In terms of the IOE's contribution now to wider UCL, obviously we like to think that we're supporting quality right across London and beyond through the substantial contribution to initial teacher training that you've already mentioned. We have wonderful links with London schools, some uh, wonderful uh, networks both in terms of practice um, school placement for students and so on but also evidence-based practice which is very important and I think that um, as well as our uh, links and close work with the UCL Academy one of the things that we can support 
to some wonderful schemes um, developing at UCL around, for example, academics uh, working as school governors and so on. I think there is a lot more that we can do as academics and as university institutions to support the state education sector. But it's wonderful that UCL is at the forefront of that. So moving on to a slightly thorny issue, there is a long-standing divide between academic and vocational education. Are degree apprenticeships the way to overcome it, or are there other measures that would be more effective? Well, um, the government has introduced degree apprenticeships rather with a bang. They were looking for very large numbers to be recruited into degree apprenticeships, and my understanding is that recruitment is way off target, which kind of says a lot. We're not involved in this, and the reason for that is quite simple. We haven't really got the industrial partnerships that can provide that element of the uh, of the apprenticeship, because essentially these people need to be employed as apprentices as they study. So if you haven't got the industrial partner, then you can't even get started. I wouldn't um, rule it out in the future. I think as we uh, develop the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park, you see at least that there are possibilities, and and. Engineering, I know, are already working uh, with a technical college that specialises in engineering kind of programmes. So there are possibilities, but I certainly don't see it as the big solution to this long-standing perennial problem. It's really interesting to me, actually. I think there are some quite profound um, issues that perhaps we don't articulate about hierarchies of subject knowledge and so on. I do wonder what law, medicine and engineering are if they're not vocational subjects. And yet somehow we don't seem to include those when we think about, you know, this vocational stroke academic divide. Clearly, we need to be shaping high quality routes for kids who don't want to go to university. But I'm rather rather more sceptical about some of the, the, the assumptions that we make about what a high-level, degree-level pr- apprenticeship is and some of the things that we don't talk about in those discussions as well. And finally, what are the main developments on the horizon for the IOE? Well, they are manyfold. It's wonderful that since we've um, merged with UCL, you know, our, our um, research funding is up. Um, we have many new exciting courses. And I guess one of the key tasks for me as a leader, but for our colleagues across the board, is to uphold and maintain our world leading status. But we do have some very exciting new initiatives. One of those is the Centre for Education Improvement Science, for which we've just recruited our director, who will start in January, Dr Becky Allen, a very famous policy analyst, and I think she'll be a great leader for the centre. She'll be tasked to work on education system analysis globally, but also to look at learning science, um, where we think that we can be a global leader, drawing on, of course, both the cognitive psychology strength and the neuroscientific strength that exists right across UCL and this will be another key benefit of our merger with UCL. We're also starting a centre for research on teachers and teaching to strengthen our focus on quality in initial teacher training and pedagogy. We have of course our estates master plan that Michael may say more about but you know this was another exciting prospect for us on merger and we have some really stimulating public events going on now including our what if series in education looking at um, perennial debates such as the ones that we've been um, mentioning today but also key issues um, facing the world of education and they're open to the public and so it feels very exciting at the IOE at the moment. 
Let me comment on the merger itself and you know whether or not um, the expectations have been realised. So the key thing I think I'd say about the merger is that you know, both organisations had very similar values uh, with quite a significant emphasis on social justice in both, quite explicitly stated by uh, the Institute of Education. So it f- always felt like the merger would go fairly well. Of course, like all mergers, there were significant teething difficulties and we shouldn't ignore that. But I do think we're emerging from those now. And academically, I mean, this was a merger that was driven by academic excellence. uh, And I think that's worked. The IOE felt the need to be part of a larger multidisciplinary organisation to secure its future. I think it has, without doubt, now achieved that. We have, for example, seen international student numbers double uh, from the combined entity UCL-IOE. And I always think it could have had another name, the Institute of Education. It could have been called the Institute of Advanced Social Science Research, very quantitative uh, social science excellence, which is why it's the world's number one educational establishment you know, globally. So that joined together with the social science activity that we have here, the combination of all the cohorts, people from the IOE joining in uh, with the new grand challenges, particularly the one on equality and justice. I just look at all of that and think, well, that was the kind of thing that we were anticipating happening when we, uh, when we were effecting the merger, and now it absolutely has, and I could not be more delighted.